This is Running on Fumes, an FC Belvedere Oasis pod. Brought to you by Clorox, the official performance drink of FC Belvedere Oasis. More than often I drive so much it is like my... One, welcome back to Forwards, Backwards, Running on Fumes podcast coming to you from the virtual Highbury. This week, Dan, Peter, and I discuss whether having a club in Europe would which you're going to sign is like having a Canadian girlfriend, the returns to the pitch, and bats in Peter's Belfry. As always, I'm joined by the Sherlock Holmes to my Dr. Watson, Dan Fallon. Dan, has anyone ever so effectively and efficiently summarized their entire playing career in only 20 minutes, like David Luiz did in his return against Manchester City yesterday? Uh, I think that's what we call a vintage performance. Um, and, um, you know, the joke now, of course, that they're asking to extend his, his ban so he won't be able to play for the club again because <laughs> I believe his contract ex- expires in 12 days. Um, also, not the best way to put yourself in the shop window when the entire world is watching and you remind them all that you are one of the worst central defenders in the world, so... Good to have you back, David. 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 It, it did remind me that, you know, who was the captain on the day that uh, Brazil lost 7-1 to one to uh, Germany? I, David Luiz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for running on fumes, we're always honored to be joined by the Che Guevara, Ted Kaczynski, Johnny Appleseed, Willy Wonka, Mr. Peabody, Doc Brown, and Tom Bendelow of American soccer, Peter Wilt. Peter, I added a new name in there. You're the sports trivia guru. No clue. Tom Bindelow no is known as the Johnny Appleseed of American golf because he designed courses throughout the United States, including uh, here in Madison, Nakoma Golf Club, uh, my beloved home course when I was a child, and uh, Marion, where they've hosted U.S. Opens in the past. So Tom Pendelow, the Johnny Appleseed of American golf. That's that's I'm humble to be mentioned in the same breath as Tom Bendelow. Uh, so Peter, neither of us knew thirty seconds ago. <laughs> in fact, the title of the biography, if you Google it on Amazon, is Tom Bendelow, the Johnny Appleseed of American golf. Uh, speaking of random paraphernalia and trivia, Peter, what's been going on in the attic? Um, have you been drinking enough water? First of all, we're doing a health check. It, this has not been the worst week. You know, it's, I, I live near Lake Michigan and it's always cooler there. So it's so far so good. I, I found a number of items that, um, I couldn't quite remember why I saved them. Uh, so, you know, in the basement, I, I had, uh, uh, some paint chips from, uh, what turned out to be Tiger Stadium. It was very helpful. On the outside of the envelope, it was written Tiger Stadium. And, you know, that's something to keep because Tiger Stadium is no longer. And then uh, yesterday, I came across a couple similar items, some uh, dirt and, um, well, dirt. I guess mostly it's dirt in a plastic bag, but it didn't say what it was from. And I knew I had to have saved it for a reason. It was from somewhere. 
in the basement, I had a plastic bag of dirt that said uh, from the Rome Coliseum. So that's kind of cool. And I know where it's from. Good. Um, I also had Coliseum, by the way. For the Lions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so much for the Christians. Um, they were and then I, I found a cigar in a plastic tube that was partially smoked. And it was, looked like a nice cigar and kind of large. And I assumed it was to celebrate some big event. But there was nothing written on it, no notes. So I had no idea what the cigar was for or this new plastic bag. Maybe it was when you got the dirt. You were just so excited. You smoked a cigar and uh, you forgot to write down both of them in your moment of joy. Maybe it was an expression of the terroir. The cigar was so good that you went back to where it had been grown, the tobacco, <laughs> and gathered the earth. <laughs> I also found a championship soccer ring that I had forgotten I had had. It wasn't, it doesn't belong to me. In fact, for a long time, I've meant to give it back to the owner. It was a Chicago Power championship ring from 1991. And it belongs to Jay Rensink, who was a, a great rookie player from Naperville on that Chicago Power team. We had the rings made up. It had his name engraved in the side. And it was supposed to be awarded to him uh, on opening day of the next season, but he got in a contract dispute with the owner of the team uh, who refused to give him the ring. And I ended up with it, meaning to give it to him. And to this point, I have it. But Jay, if you're listening to this podcast, and odds are you probably are, mm -hmm. because who doesn't? <laughs> we are. Uh, we are Madison's fifth most popular um, forwards pad podcast. Hey, Jay, Jay, you can Jay, find us on Twitter. We'll get that ring back to you. Yeah, Jay, you can find Reach us on Twitter at, at @forwardsbackwatch2. When I write, work too. when uh, Dan and I get together and write the script for the Peter Will life story, um, the return of this ring is actually going to be the the motivating quest that centers the whole movie. It's going to be like the straight story. I think Dan and I are going to like we're going to go there uh, in a soccer ball shaped car like delivering the quest for the holy grail yeah well maybe we're gonna go and like maybe there'll be other things and dan and i are gonna spend our, our later years just returning these things to their rightful owners because didn't you say you had some teeth that you found some <laughs> um, there it's actually a plaster molding uh, several sets maybe half a dozen sets of teeth that I found in a dentist box or an orthodontist box along with a retainer. They're not my teeth, they're not my, my mold. I think I must have acquired them at a, a resale store or a garage sale of some sort. And they Hack have alley. the owner's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> maybe, yeah. So I've identified the owner of these teeth, and, uh, and now I just, I've done a little bit of research. I've found they're still around on social media or LinkedIn, so I can track them down, and, and I'm sure they're waiting with bated breath the return of their, their plaster teeth. <laughs> what, what I want to know is what player that was traded for 
you know, another player and we threw in a dentist's box. I think that's really what happened. It was a, it was a sweetener in a trade. <laughs> so in which way? Yeah. My, main, my question here is obviously that, my, that, that, get the my question is obviously that dentist did not go through HIPAA training. He's just like selling molds out this the back. <laughs> what am I going to do with these things? I don't know. Have a yard sale. <laughs> Somebody will buy them. I'm going to take them. Uh, so, Peter, uh, related to what we were talking about with the return of David David Luiz and the English Premier League, uh, USL, I think we haven't talked since they announced that they're looking at like July 18th to return. Uh, Dan obviously has some thoughts, which is we're all going to die in a burning, fiery flame of COVID. Um, what, what kind of thoughts do you have on this July 18th return date? Well, it's a real challenge on a state-by-state basis, right? Uh, because different parts of the country are in different uh, places with uh, the pandemic. And whereas it might make sense right now to uh, gather up and have good-sized crowds, gatherings in Wyoming. Um, It may not be such a good idea to do so in Tampa. Unfortunately, there are no USL teams in Wyoming, so uh, that could uh, be an issue. But local uh, health officials will work with uh, all the USL teams to determine what's the best way to re-engage the season. I think it's uh, what we're hearing coming out. Sounds like it's an important step in a good direction to get uh, teams back on the field. And then it will be up to the teams, the municipalities, and the fans themselves to make sure that safety is um, addressed. Well, and this, you know, sort of speaks to the, the issues that we're having with our generalized response is that, you know, and one of the things we talked about last week is, you know, in Madison, it's highly unlikely that there are gonna be large gatherings but then you can go, you know, uh, 25 miles down the road and it's the Wild West and anything goes. Um, and, you know, that patchwork, I think, is, you know, while local municipalities may be doing a good job, it does, you know, raise some questions. How good a job are they doing? Can you trust if you go from Madison, theoretically, where we're doing a pretty good job controlling things, you know, as a state insofar as places are following the guidelines, things are doing well versus going to somewhere where they may be of the, you know, if we don't test, that means we don't have any cases uh, sort of mentality. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big concern. You know, I think working with the municipalities is good, but it, you know, it'd be nice if there were more input, I think, for, at the, the state, federal, you know, organizational level to guide this, because I think that would make a lot more people more comfortable returning to the stadium in some way. Well, we're not going to get it from the federal level. We know that. And uh, on a state basis, it's a case-by-case basis. Um, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that it's come to that. Now, on a, a purely selfish, uh, you know, motive, we have to ask, does this mean that you'll be going back to work at some point? And abandoning this or can we you know do zoom calls while you're eating a cheeseburger with your laptop next to you because we know you can't do it on the blackberry uh as you drive from from one place to another because i imagine it's going to be a while before you want to get in an airplane yeah no you're right i'm still going to be a homebody i'm fortunate that most of my work can be done uh virtually 
but I haven't heard yet uh, for my startup date. And while the uh, reports are promising on the July 18th, officially uh, as of a recording date, it's still provisional. Um, but fingers crossed that progress continues to be made. Peter, from a, you know, and maybe we can just, it might just be easier to use Bower Madison as the example. I mean, where does the, you know, and all kidding is all jokes aside about Chattanooga never has more than 250 people in their stadium. But, um, you know, where, if, if you're kind of running one of these clubs and you're in an area like Madison, where let's say the max is that you could have 250 people at Bree Stevens field. How, how do the, how do you, you know, what are the financial implications to something like that? Obviously you're going to lose money, but are you looking at it as, well, we got to get, our product on the field, keep it in front of people, kind of bite the bullet for this year and hope that we, you know, that keeps generating interest and we, you know, sell enough shirts and sell some beers and pots. Um, Cause we've talked about this without a huge TV contract, you know, having games without people in the stadium is a money suck for clubs. Um, but I don't know where, what would you kind of advise clubs on that? Yeah, I think those are all important factors to take into consideration. Uh, I hate to use the term lost leader, but to a certain extent, I think that's what this um, startup needs to be. If you just, you know, cold turkey cut out the rest of the year, you're essentially cutting out the entire year, you lose a lot of momentum and fan engagement. And if you start up again, even if it's a negative on the, the cash flow, it is helping as a connector between this season and next season, and it keeps the fans engaged. And I think that needs to be considered. Um, and, you know, paramount is fan safety. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, the folks in Madison are, are, are scheming on how they can uh, get people into Bree Stevens without endangering their safety. Um, you know, same different. Uh, schemes at venues throughout the country uh, where they have different percentages uh, that they're permitting in, where they're allowing uh, families or groups that come together to sit right together. And then there needs to be a minimum of X number of seats in between. You know, when you start out with a capacity, uh, give or take 5,000, and then you're looking at making sure there's distance in between where they're sitting and also the ingress and egress. You're right. It, it limits how many people can uh, come in. I'm sure it's more than 250, but it's likely less than 2,500. Uh, either way, well, it's a number that will help, is difficult to justify from a pure financial standpoint. But the bigger picture, I think, as you alluded to, Dan, is you know, keeping the interest in the fan base. And the, the 250 number I'm using is because, and Keith, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, the Dane County's reopening plan kind of maxes out at 250 people being allowed at any public event. And that's not until we get to phase four, Keith, is that? Yeah, I don't know if it lifts at phase three or phase four. but Yeah, right. so in the absence of some sort of vaccine or kind of some other sort of large scale immunity, they've kind of capped it at 250, which, you know, to me at the time sounded right. like a death knell. That, for... yeah. that limits the uh, options then 
to either you know keep the crowd to 250 or consider playing games outside of market. Well, and that's that was what we talked about last week, kind of jokingly. Do you just go across the river to Salt County and find a stadium over there? Um, uh, I mean, are, or you know, I, I I'm fine with if I'm man, you know, if I go to Bree Stevens, I'm mandated now to drink four giant sized beers. I mean, if I, if that's what I have to do to support forward Madison, that's I'm okay with that. I'm, so the two the two hundred and fifty people are required to consume as much as the five thousand would have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do I need three broads? No, but I'll do it for the team. You know, going to a fancy nightclub and have a, a two drink cover minimum. Exactly. It's it's the yeah. comedy club. Um, you know, uh, it it makes sense. I'm okay with this. Um, Dan, you know, I have, I've made you drink more than you've wanted to in the past at, at forward Madison games. I'll do it again. I'm, you know, I'm willing to do this for the club. Um, I think that's, I, I, I drank more cherry Kolsch last season than I, than I ever thought I would in my life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, we went through a whole variety uh, of them because, uh, you know, my number one determining factor is, is it cheap and is it quick? I don't want to wait around for it. I don't. You know, uh, but Peter, you had mentioned as well this year um, and it, it, the economics of USL League One kind of came into the news with the firing of Eric Winalda. And I know you have a little bit of connection with the Las Vegas Lights and uh, Eric Winalda, uh, as I alluded to up the top, said, you know, it's no big deal that uh, I left. Uh, I'm going to get a job with a club in Europe in three to six weeks. Um, and, you know, Dan has never met my girlfriend because she lives in Canada. Um, but one of the things that, uh, you know, Eric Winalda said is the owner doesn't want to spend any money on anything right now. And uh, part of me wanted to go, well, no shit, Eric. <laughs> He's not making any money right now. Um, have you heard or seen or do you have thoughts on, you know, the changing shape of, of lower league soccer economics and, and what's going on and, and, you know, plans for clubs and, and so on and so forth? No, it would just be speculative anyways. I think, um, you know, common sense tells you that a lot of businesses, especially businesses that are dependent on crowd gathering, are suffering right now. And sports is at the top of the list. Um, lower division sports, minor league sports is even higher on the list um, because their resources aren't greater. So yeah, this is going to be a challenging time for uh, lower division clubs in America. Um, it's going to require creativity and um, hard work, resilience. And um, it's an opportunity too, I think, for these clubs to become closely uh, more closely connected to their fan base. I think, um, you know, the, the, the country is struggling right now and this is a way to have kind of shared pain and, and work through it together. Peter, I don't, um, I don't want to take us down too, too long a path here, but does, um, to your knowledge, and this was just an idea that had popped into my head the other day, um, does the USL allow for ownership groups that would include supporters as part of the ownership group um so like are, are, are the teams allowed to sell could the team sell equity to their supporters 
Right. So it's, it's more of a question for U.S. soccer and their restrictions on um, different division status. Uh, and you know, the shorter answer is yes, they do. They just can't have the controlling interest. Uh, the, there must be a single person, individual that uh, owns 35% or more of the team and has controlling interest in the team. Outside of that, um, supporter uh, crowdfunded equity, similar to what Chattanooga SC has done, uh, is permitted. And that's at the U.S. soccer level or is that at the USL level in terms of the controlling? Uh, both. Okay. Both. It's at the U.S. soccer level, but the U.S. Because, uh, you USL know, with, recognizes that. Yeah. Um, with, like with Chattanooga, that they have crowd, you know, local ownership in, in NISA, they still have a controlling owner. Is that how it, it sort of is operated? Correct. Okay. Correct. And I do think that is an opportunity to um, kind of, you know, what I was suggesting is what's going on now might be an opportunity to crowdfund um, supporters, fans in general, to get behind the team, have this real community-based uh, grassroots support of the team, much like in the rest of the world, where it's the communities that have bounded together to uh in those cases, create the teams. Uh, Green Bay Packers is a situation we're all familiar with. And some of their fundraising in the 1950s uh, happened uh, because they were in very dire financial straits. And the only thing that could save them was a public uh, crowdfunding. And in more recent years, uh, the stadium itself, the, the renovation of Lambeau Field was partially funded uh, by new shares being sold. Um, yeah, and I think what you're seeing, you know, and the reason it kind of popped in my head the other last week, maybe the other day, was, you know, despite, you know, a lot of economic pain out there, you're seeing a lot of people, I think, refocus on what they care about, right? They're, they're taking, I think, particularly when you're stuck in your house for three months, you start to think about what are the what are the few things that I really really actually care about and I do want to have on the other side of this and I think there you know I think a lot of people in our community and who listen to this podcast would say well Ford Madison is one of the most important parts of my kind of social and you know community life that I don't want to see go away and I do think there's an opportunity um, for clubs like you said to kind of tap into that. Yeah, and I'm not talking Ford Madison in particular, but I think yeah, right, sports right. teams in general, yep. soccer teams also uh, have that uh, connection to the community and the fan base where there's a tribal mentality and people feel a part of that team. And if that connection can be increased to the point of financial and equity, that I think uh, bodes well for the team long-term, not just from the financial aspect, but in that connection that those fans will feel like they are truly one and the same with the team will be more committed than ever before. So I, um, I'd love to see more uh, crowdfunded equity programs throughout the country. And I, that was a uh, keystone, you know, when we call you the Che Guevara, the Ted Kaczynski, the, uh, other revolutionaries of, uh, you know, because of your, your manifesto on the, the U.S. soccer pyramid, one of the big things that you were very interested in, and, and it was a piece of legislation from the Obama era that really made this 
possible was this idea of crowdfunding local teams. And, you know, that was a big part of, of your quote unquote manifesto as well, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a 2012 uh, Jobs Act, which while it was under uh, President Barack Obama, it was actually uh, a bipartisan legislation that approved it. And it's been uh, well received. You know, I was going to say not just for sports. Um, actually, it's been very little used in sports, unfortunately, uh, but for small businesses as a, a way for them to generate um, startup capital to get um, businesses off the ground for for entrepreneurs who otherwise wouldn't be able to do so. And um, I think it's about time that sports teams take advantage of this. And soccer is better positioned, I think, than any other sport to do so because of the tribal nature of the fan base and because of the relative startup nature of the sport itself in this country. Dan, anything else to, to kind of add on that? Uh, you know, you're you're the you're the visionary who came up with the crowdfunding conversation here, uh, Dan. So, I, <laughs> you know, like I said, I'm just your Dr. Watson. I'm just uh, playing along. Um, I just think other- you know, in times like this, everything's on the table. You know, and it's like, yeah. um, and you know, again, I, I wasn't asking Peter to speak directly about Fort Madison, but you know, I would, and I think if. Uh, if, you know, it came, push came to shove and they needed help, I think there's a lot of people in this community that would step up and help them. Um, but they're also selling tons of jerseys. So, you know, for at least for, t- for now, they're... Well, they're and, and one thing I think we can all give them credit for is they've been extremely cred- uh, creative in yeah. their marketing. Um, you know, the Mallards are owned by the same organization. They've been doing a drive-in theater out at, at Warner Park. And one of the events, and it, it dovetails into one of the other things that we started talking about a co- couple of weeks ago, Peter, last time we, we potted together, um, you know, protests continue in the United States. Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, has, has kind of become a, a term that everyone is talking about. The, the club is tomorrow, June 19th, Juneteenth. Uh, hosting a, uh, I don't know the exact name, uh, Breeze Inn, I think they may be calling it. Uh, but barbecue, at Br- barbecue at Breeze. But it's a picnic for uh, folks who are interested in, in who, who just miss the smell of Breeze Stevens, I guess, uh, so much. But they're uh, inviting you know, lo- local black-owned restaurants to provide food. There, it's going to be a you know a big, hopefully, windfall for those organizations as well. Um, and I think that's you know a good way to kind of tie the financial and the the uh, civic-mindedness and what's going on together. Um, and wanted to see Peter if you've heard of any other events like that or any other changes, and then any other things that you think. Um, have come to mind since we we first talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago about ways that clubs in the league can improve uh you know african-american engagement throughout the sport yeah well first of all i was really impressed with uh epl's embracing of the black lives matter issue uh the the villa game where they started the game and took a knee right at the beginning and then the backs of the jerseys and players saying black lives matter and it it really shows this isn't just an american issue this is worldwide and the respect it's getting worldwide is 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 gratifying um you know on the other side 
you see the Taco Bell employee who was fired uh, for having a Black Lives Matter message on his mask. And the defense by Taco Bell was that it was a political message and there shouldn't be any political messages at work. That irritates me so much. It's, it's similar to the rationale that um, MLS was giving last year during the Antifa conversation, talking about it being a political statement. These are not political statements. These are human rights issues. You absolutely should be able to demonstrate and equivocate and provide your position on human rights uh, issues. Uh, it's, it's, it's upsetting that people take it from the um, human rights and, and put it into political. It's not. And um, it's so gratifying to see in Europe that it's being recognized for what it is. And in much of America now, I think with the demonstrations now going on three weeks and being embraced as a real human rights demonstration is wonderful. And uh, it's a huge step in this country that, um, you know, soccer, I think it plays a part of, you know, soccer fans uh, tend to be more demonstrative, especially when it comes to human rights issues. Uh, uh, gay pride is another one. Yeah, gay pride is obviously a human rights issue, but sometimes people try to make it into a political issue. Um, the Forward Madison jersey that was unveiled today as we, we tape this was spectacular from an aesthetic standpoint, uh, but even more so from the messaging it gives. It's not just a subtle little rainbow on a sleeve. I mean, it's across the chest as the isthmus with the rainbow. And that's the messaging. You know, messaging, as we know, is just part of it. We need to take it forward into action, but we're starting to see that as well. Dan, have you, yeah, uh, have you had, you know, newer ideas and, and you know, see, what have you seen? You know, you're not on social media anymore, Dan, so you don't keep up to date on these things. Um, but, you know, what have you seen in, in terms of, you know, clubs adapting and, and improving and what ideas have you, you know, embraced or thought of? Well, I mean, I think I would first agree with Peter. I think, you know, seeing um, Raheem Sterling and Ty Tyrone uh, Mings and, that this message is just all over the world um, that, you know, uh, <clears throat> that, you know, George Floyd gets murdered in, in Minneapolis and there are um, soccer players in England who th this resonates with them because they understand what it's like to live as a black person in their society. And I think that there's, to me, it, it's painful that, it didn't happen before, but whatever, you know, the sea change in how these leagues are dealing with it. I mean, the NFL finally getting their head out of their fucking ass, um, you know, and you can make, and listen, that you can make it, you can make an argument that is strictly based on an economic, you know, hardcore decision, but whatever it is um, that people are finally like waking up. And I mean, I mean, the NASCAR thing, how quickly NASCAR acted to ban the Confederate flag. And, you know, I all, I mean, 
the, the, I, it, some of this stuff is, is still shocking to me that it's happening this quickly and this rapidly. And it's also showing you that the platform that these leagues and players have um, to affect change. Um, but there's always the asterisk, right? Because the, the head of the EPL, I think, you know, kind of was interviewed the other day and applauded the players and everything, but then equivocated and said, but we got to be careful that this doesn't go into the political and, you know, and he's already kind of having to, you know, play that game where it's just like, just, just support this. Don't worry about, you know, why are you already thinking about the next problem? Um, like keep the focus on this. The league is getting a lot of public, a lot of good publicity about this and showing what they stand behind um, and put your support there. Don't worry about, you know, unfortunately our beloved Dejan Lovren has some very interesting political views. Don't worry about that. He might want to have his political views. Uh, you can tell him he can't do that because that's against the rules. What these guys are doing is not against the rules. This is about, as Peter said, this is about human rights. This is about, equality and fairness this isn't about politics and um i think sometimes these people in charge just can't get out of their own way um and it's about being on the right side of history i mean like that you know it's it's about it's about taking a stand about things that are important and not being concerned about what that's going to mean for your bottom line in the short term so um i'm just impressed that they're having to see 22 players running around on a pitch in England with black lives matter on the back of their jerseys is an incredibly powerful statement that I couldn't have imagined would have happened, um, three and a half weeks ago, four weeks ago. And it's, it's horrible that it had to, it took, it's taken the murder of George Floyd after so many other murders like it, but, um, you know, long may it continue. And I'm proud to be part of a club and a supporters group that's been kind of, um, knocking, knocking on this door for a while and taking pretty strong stands about how they feel about things. And I appreciate that our leadership has pushed me to think differently about it. Um, so long may it continue. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, on, on one hand related to that, um, because I think the, you know, the, the growing up when I did, you know, seeing the Confederate flag, uh, banned from NASCAR, uh, it's just incredible because uh, I used to watch a, a TV show about uh, two uh, bootleggers who opposed uh, Boss Hog in their local jurisdiction, and their car had, you know, the Confederate flag on it. In in you know, that was the car was the General Lee for God's sake, um, you know, which is a, a very confusing message to to get through, right? Um, and so I think, you know, some of these changes from a cultural standpoint, I think are impressive and, and uh, tremendous. Uh, I'll still say, you know, fuck the NFL. I mean, quite frankly, you know, um, <laughs> like, you know, I think it's great that, you know, finally, but I, I think it's a bigger issue in our country is that our leadership has no backbone uh, of these organizations. Roger Goodell is never going to do the right thing on his own. Um, you know, maybe the closest we get in a, in a commissioner is Adam Silver, but that's also because he is leading a, you know, predominantly black sport where that's their, that's their demographic that, that really engages with the sport. And so it makes good business sense for him. I do think, you know, one thing that, that can happen and that should happen is that as supporters of, and sports fans, we should think about how we spend our sporting dollar 
and move it away from from you know these organizations that don't you know that only give a shit about our sporting dollar you know and look it's it's clearly you know you know in liberal madison it's good business for forward madison to embrace you know that liberal vision and that sort of better angel of ourselves that we all we all have that we're all forward thinking and progressive um and so i think that's why they've seen so much support is because they they got it and got involved and so i hope you know that there'll be more owners that will stick their necks out a little bit you know it's it's to my mind it's it's you know or or you know organizations you know we're talking about people with such huge amounts of money and it's like, can't you do what's, what's right? I mean, expecting Jerry Jones to do what's right is probably beyond him, but for other, you know, groups, it's something important. And so one of the things that I was a little bit troubled with as well, you know, USL announced some uh, small things. uh, And one of them was they were going to give employees uh, a day off to, you know, promote or do work for their social causes and to my mind, that's frustrating because it's pushing the buck. It's, oh, you people care about this. Us uh, up in the ownership suites don't really, but we're going to give you a day off. And in two years, we're going to end up taking it away from your vacation days anyway, so fuck you. I mean, I've been around long enough, you know? And instead of doing the sort of searching that, hey, why, why are there few black faces in our, in our league you know, they, they, they provide us with a gesture like this. So, you know, I'm, I'm amazed by the symbolic victories that have been gained. I'm still not yet convinced that we've seen the, the, you know, and, and Dan, you've been part of the, you know, uh, podcast where it's about sort of analyzing white privilege. We just, I don't think we've seen from these organizations yet, maybe an examination of their own contribution to these problems you know, rather than saying, oh, you know, the employees can go and, and you know, build a, go work for Habitat, you know, for humanity one day. We're giving them a free volunteer day off of work. And, you know, it starts out great. And then in, you know, three years, you've got to get it signed in triplicate and, and you know, HR is calling you twice. So that's, that's kind of where I am. I want to see more of what leagues are doing and not just, you know, EPL saying, you know, putting Black Lives Matter on the back of the jersey, but how are they engaging, you know, someone like Raheem Sterling? How are they going to ensure that Marcus Rashford, who has already, you know, created significant change in the UK by, by lobbying for, um, you know, school lunches there, how are they going to ensure that Marcus Rashford continues to be a voice that shapes the sport into the future, I think is more important to me than some of the, the gestures. Um, not to throw cold water on you. If Dan is the uh, COVID-19 nope. cynic, I might be the, you know, uh, racial justice cynic um, because, you know, I, I I just don't trust these organizations. Well, and, at, and, and, you know, at, and at base minimum, how do they, how are they going to provide a safe environment when fans are back in the stadium for Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford and Romelu Lukaku and the other players who have been, who have been racially abused on on professional soccer pitches in England where, and Oh, well, we, this guy's banned for a week or this, like, you know, when are they going to make sure that, that those guys can show up to work to their place of business and not be racially abused? Um, 
And when are they going to take us and, and the clubs themselves too, when are they going to take a stance with some of the stuff? Um, so I totally agree with you, Keith. This is, this is all kind of the window dressing right now. It's still amazing to me that it's happening, but you're absolutely right that the next step is how do they actually change their organizations to reflect what they're saying their values are. Yeah, most, if not all leagues, uh, the commissioner or leadership position is really a reflection of the collective of owners. You know, mm-hmm. He's working at behest of, of the owners. So that's really where the change has to come from. I mean, it, it would take an incredibly strong and maybe foolhardy commissioner or leader to go against the wishes of his owners because he may not have that position for long if he does. Well, uh, so wasn't yeah, that, I, I that was it, Faye Vincent's problem, right? That, that got Faye Vincent fired. <laughs> yeah. I, so I think it's incumbent upon fans to have direct dialogue with the teams, with the club ownership and club membership. One I've really been impressed with is um, Black Fires, the Chicago Fire Supporters Group that celebrates uh, Black heritage. And they have come up with almost a list of demands of their team. Uh, they, they refer to it as, uh, you got to change initiative ideas. And they have short-term uh, immediate commitments they're asking for from their organization uh, in near future as well. And some of it is um, for the sporting side. Some of it's for the community engagement. Uh, it has some real specificity to it that you can see they put their mind to it and it's impressive. Um, the near future, they're asking for a November 1st announcement for some of these things. Uh, it includes things like book programs uh, for kids in the inner city, a donation of, of tickets, uh, or even a historically black college university soccer classic. Soldier Field every year in Chicago uh, does one of those uh, in football, American football, uh, with uh, teams from Alabama State or Howard. Uh, And the suggestion is that they do it for soccer as well. So they've really come up with some good ideas to turn this lip service into action items. And I think it's an area where the fans can make a difference going forward. Well, and I, I think as well, this is not a criticism of, you know, the, the groups leading, for instance, you know, um, Dan, uh, when we did our podcast, you you had suggested people look at what the clear demands are of the various groups that were protesting in Madison. And I think in a lot of ways, these are not these are not the issues of, you know, the, they're very clear on what they want. And I, I think, you know, Black Fires has done a, a tremendous job and and they've made clear, hey, Fire, you've kind of taken us for granted in a lot of ways over the last several years. Um, and I think that is, is fantastic for them. But I also think, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that needs to happen is organizations need to start taking this on themselves. We shouldn't just outsource this to our black supporters group. You know, it shouldn't be uh, the responsibility of, of Featherstone Flamingos to come on this podcast and tell Dan and I were a couple of racist assholes. We're just assholes, I hope, you know, but it's incumbent upon us to, to take that responsibility now. And so I think I hope, you know, more organizations are not looking, you know, looking to their supporters group and going, oh, you know, help us that, 
by this point, you know, <laughs> we know where the problems lie and what, what needs to be done. I think it's good to engage yeah. supporters and frankly, good to engage African-Americans in coming up with action items on how to make the organization better and make the community better. Yeah, I mean, I think a collaboration, obviously, you don't want it to be uh, top down. Um, the collaboration is great, but, you know, in some sense, hopefully, you know, the Chicago Fire come back with a, a, an equal set of items. Here are the other things that we've been thinking of. What do you think of these? You know, that instead of, you know, leaning on the, the, the black supporters groups to, to, to lead the charge, hopefully the fire can, can start taking care of this. Uh, so any last thoughts, Peter, Dan, uh, before we wrap up? Um, Peter wisely turned down my tax advice, so he probably has more meetings with his, his tax team. But um, Dan, any, any last thoughts? There's a season. Um, no, I, I think, um, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Merseyside Derby. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. And, uh, uh, we've already received word Peter. So you maybe get kicked off once Liverpool clinch, uh, Kyle Carr is coming on the podcast and hijacking it. We may take a, we may actually turn into a phone in podcast that day. So, you know, we'll get Cuba from the East side, long time, you know, first time, long time. Uh, various folks around town calling in to celebrate that. Uh, I did want to ask Peter and, and Dan. Dan, I've, I, you've got a ready, ready answer because we, we chatted this, but one of the things that's going on is they're talking about uh, walkout music for uh, players when they're subbed on or if they score a goal. Dan, what would, what would your walkout music, because that'll give Peter a little bit of time to think of his walkout music before we wrap things up. So I'll answer what I answered the other day. So a 35-minute version of tweezer by fish so it would take me 35 minutes to walk out and then if i scored a goal fish has a song called tweezer reprise which is a shorter version of the original song but i gotta say but you would only do that if your team is winning right if you're coming on to preserve the lead yes yeah we're trying to preserve the lead and then i said there'd be 35 minutes of extra time um your money worth but my favorite walkout music of all time is the Simpsons episode where Homer's the boxer and he's got the extra layer of fluid on his brain so he can get punched a lot. And I can't remember the guy who he fights who's basically supposed to be Mike Tyson, but he walks out to why can't we be friends? (laughs) And I still think that's the best walkout music in the history of the world. Peter, what would you walk out to? Oh gosh, I'll probably go with the clash. Uh, should I stay or should I go and uh, be ready for the fans to be chanting, go, go. <laughs> I have always thought that the, the greatest pump up song of all time is welcome to the terror dome by public enemy. That's what I would put on as I walked out. Um, and then I second that emotion. Should I ever score a goal? If you feel like loving me, if you've got that notion, I second that emotion with that, we say in reference to the Simpsons forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. 